Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Norcross at Local 10 WPLG in Miami. And this is our first weather podcast uh, here with a couple of really distinguished and and, uh, maybe even infamous people. Uh, Max Mayfield, former director of the National Hurricane Center, is joining us today. We're going to talk about uh, hurricanes and also meteorologist uh, Luke Doris from Local 10 here in Miami. Normally you see him um, all on the weekend and he's going to be part of the podcast here on an ongoing basis. And another former director of the National Hurricane Center, Bill Reed, is going to be joining us here in just a moment. We're recording this. It's Wednesday afternoon, June the 20th. So if you're listening at some point in the future, what we're going to talk about in terms of what's going on in the tropics right now is not going to be valid. So check uh, with Local 10 or check your Max Tracker app or the Local 10 weather app for current information or just keep yourself uh, up to date anytime after today, June 20th, uh, Wednesday. All right, um, uh, Luke, uh, Max, welcome to our first uh, podcast. Thank you. Max, uh, uh, we're talking, you know, talking tropics and talking, it's kind of, this is kind of like a new, uh, this is honestly the first podcast I've ever done. Is this your first podcast? Uh, it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you've been on the radio before, right? All right. All Actually, right. we did do some uh, podcasts at the Bahamas Weather Conference. Wow, back many, many years yeah. ago. Yeah, well, that was a wonderful a wonderful event that the uh, Bahamas put on to kind of promote uh, promote them. And Luke, you've been in South Florida now uh, for just under a year. Just under a year. Yeah, so you I'm were here in time in for Irma, right? I got here six weeks before Irma, so it was um, <laughs> it was a hard hitting, fast start to the job. Down so what here. did you think about the the way that the city operated, the, all the incoming information, you know, it, it kind of deluges you, doesn't it? Yeah, I was drinking through a fire hose, no doubt. Um, so it, as far as how the city responded, I was blown away. You know, this was my first hurricane I'd experienced. And, you know, I hadn't been here for all the times where, you know, maybe people didn't take it as seriously. So I saw the gas shortage. I saw, you know, <laughs> the long lines at the, the grocery stores just completely emptied. I was like, wow, they really do take it seriously. I would have thought that there would have been more people being complacent with it. And with Irma, it wasn't that way, at least not from my perception. A lot of people took it very, very seriously. This town was freaked out. Uh, It's also a very big city. And so, you know, I always say that there's six million people here on the southeast coast. If you could get 90 percent of them to all prepare perfectly, you'd still be left with 600,000 people to deal with. Right. So so it's it's uh, there's a hurricane problem no matter how you look at it. Max, from your perspective, just looking back at Irma briefly, and I'm sure as we do these podcasts every week, we're going to talk a lot, lot more about what happened with Irma as we get into the summer. Uh, but what did you think as an overall event? Did, do you think there were, you know, it was a, a middle grade uh, response, or, or what's your thought? Well, overall, compared to what could have happened, I thought we did very well. And my hat's off uh, to the local officials in Monroe, Miami-Dade, and Broward County because they all called for evacuations even before uh, again, before the hurricane watches and warnings went up. So they were ahead of the game, and they were really, you know, I think that had people's a- attention, uh, you know, at the local level. And, and the fact that it had been, a, you know, a major hurricane well east of the Caribbean, and we saw it go over many of the islands uh, there in the Caribbean or brushed by, and we saw the damage inflicted down there. 
I think that really helped motivate people. But that and Harvey have it happening mm-hmm. just uh, uh, immediately before. All right, let's just talk uh, briefly about the, what's going on in the tropics right now, and then we'll bring in uh, Bill Reed, who's talking about Harvey. He lived Harvey. He lived Ike. We're on the uh, coming up on the tenth anniversary of Ike. But right now, I mean, the tropics, the Atlantic tropics, are quiet. As a matter of fact, the tropics all over the world are quiet, right, Mike? And that's uh, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, for us in the Atlantic, uh, it should be inactive uh, this time of year. It really doesn't. You know, the bell doesn't ring till sometime in the mid uh, middle of August. So, Luke, uh, you came from Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, did you pay any attention to hurricanes in in Nebraska besides your you know, natural meteorological interest. Was there, you know, were people at all interested? Uh, in Nebraska, no. Uh, yeah. there, was, there wasn't much interest there with hurricanes. Only For me personally, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a big weather nerd, so <laughs> any, anytime anything was going on, I, I, of course, would follow it. Um, but for there in Nebraska, it's all about severe weather. You know, where I worked, I wasn't there at the time, but where I worked, we were about 15 miles from what at one point was the widest tornado in history in the mm-hmm. Hallam, Nebraska tornado. So uh, severe weather dominates, you know, people's thoughts there. And uh, we had a lot of it during my time. But um, yeah, in, in fact, I was, uh, that's kind of where I started was with severe weather. I went to school in Oklahoma uh, and uh and then went to Nebraska, was in Nebraska for seven years, and then uh, moved down here just about a year or so ago. Talk about Oklahoma. Max went mm-hmm. to his Oklahoma guy. And, you yeah. know, we, should, we really shouldn't go too much farther without acknowledging your cousin? Uh, my cousin's son. Your cousin's uh, son. Uh, Baker Mayfield. Baker right. Mayfield, yes. Uh, watching him play uh, the last couple of years, I thought, I wonder if— Max is related to him, and know, sure I'm, enough, right? I am, and uh, very proud of it. <laughs> yeah. I wish him well. <laughs> Max, the, the seasonal forecast, it seems like they, you know, there was a time I thought people were just going to quit paying attention to this because uh, it, it really does not have any impact on what you do, but I don't think that's the case. I think people pay more attention to it uh, than ever before. What's your thought yeah, about no, that? No, you're right. Uh, my neighbors, my relatives, <laughs> uh, my uh, you know, my friends, uh, they all, the, the most frequently asked question I get is what kind of a hurricane season I'm going to have. And I really don't get very much into that. As you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, there are at least 22 different organizations, universities or, you know, NOAA, people like that, that uh, make a, you know, legitimate seasonal forecast. So the numbers are all over the place. And the point is that uh, if there's a really active season forecast, that helps a little bit in getting people's attention. But it's simply not all about the numbers. It just doesn't matter how many we have if they're out of the open ocean. What really counts is where they make landfall and how strong their landfall. And anybody that lives in a hurricane bubble area, if, if there's just one hurricane or your community, it's a bad year. You need to be prepared. Yeah, and that's not forecastable in advance, not forecastable at the beginning of the season, whether you're going to have any landfalls, let alone the numbers. No right? one is telling us where or exactly when these hurricanes are going to hit. Right. All right, let's, uh, let's bring in... Uh, Bill Reed in Houston. Bill is the former director of the National Hurricane Center, former meteorologist, uh, meteorologist in charge of the Houston National Weather Service office, and is very, very familiar with Texas hurricane uh, issues. Uh, Bill, welcome to our first podcast here on Local 10 WPLG. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. It's a pleasure. Bill, uh, we're talking about seasonal forecast just as a, a concept. What's your thinking and experience with these things? I run pretty parallel to Max. I, I only quote uh, the Colorado State because I understand the, the mathematics that he puts in the, 
his, his product and the Noah one, the same thing. I, I studied those enough to know what they are. And then I, people will always ask, well, what do you think? And I tell them, it's usually a local talk I'm doing anymore. I say, you're going to get hit this year. Yeah, I, act like it anyway. Why are you saying that? And I said, <laughs> no one's ever come back to me when I've been wrong and, and been mad at me for that. And then when I'm right, they say, how did you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this year, uh, just for completeness here, we do have the two issues that go into the, the seasonal forecast more than any of the other factors that, that they look at. Uh, one is the, the possibility of an El Nino, and the other is the, the water temperature, the ocean temperature in the Atlantic. Both are trending toward, well, the ocean temperature is quite cool, and there is sort of increasing evidence that we might actually have an El Nino, at least for the second half of the hurricane season. So uh, for what that's worth, right? Yeah, and, and well, of course, I'm uh, being over here on the west end of the Gulf of Mexico, uh, the, the Western Caribbean, even if it, it turns out a little cooler than normal, still has plenty of ocean heat to support any kind of hurricane. And the Gulf is actually running a little warmer than right, normal. Right. Yeah. So all these all these kind of uh, talk about busyness of hurricane seasons and ups and downs really doesn't have a lot to do with the Gulf of Mexico and Gulf hurricanes. This is more uh, Atlantic it, hurricanes. It's actually very easy to convince people over here. I slap on the screen the. All the tracks from the 1983 season, which was the tail end of a big El Nino, and then we only had four storms, but of course we had Alicia landfall here, and then people, aha, I get it, it doesn't matter how many we have. Yeah, if you show the video of the glass from the downtown skyscrapers cascading into the street, uh, that, that generally alerts people to the threat. Was that a cool year as far as water temperatures? I saw that this was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, June temperatures in the Atlantic, the coldest that they've been on record. Is that correct? Since 82. Since, Since 80, 1982. Is that when they started with records? Was 82 for those? No. No, no, well, because no, they're, they have proxies for water temperatures going back more than 100 years. So there's there's a sense of what the uh, the Atlantic was. Yeah, everything referenced back. that 82 year, and I thought, well, maybe that's just when they started with Bill, the actual. Bill, do you census. do you know was that um, uh, was that an especially cool year in uh, terms of SSTs? I don't. I have no recollection. Oh, I don't either. I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm not be all that carried. I'm like Max. I don't get all that carried away about the numbers game, and because even in years where it's a hostile environment, we get storms. So. It, it, it tends to lead people down a rabbit trail that, oh, we're not going to get big storms because it's cooler than normal. Even though it's cooler than normal, it'll still support a major hurricane. So it's kind of like an over-discussed issue. Yes, I agree with that. All right, Bill, uh, right now going on in the Western Gulf is uh, uh, it's kind of a mini Harvey event, way mini, but uh, significant in some places. I noticed this big bullseye on the Beaumont area, which is where the 60 inches of rain fell in Harvey. What's the, the situation? Is it being handled? Is, or is there local flooding? Or, or what are you hearing? It's very interesting. A tropical wave, uh, no, no closed circulation at the surface, uh, came right up to the coast and basically stalled. It we're in between, in a weakness between two high pressure areas. Sounds familiar. Uh, it's exactly <laughs> what causes our big rains over here in Texas, whether there's a closed low or not. Uh, I actually did some research on that, and I've, uh, I'm up around 40 20-inch or greater rain events in Texas, and the vast majority of them occurred when we get in this weakness. And uh, 
the difficulty with this one is not having a good surface focus. The mesoscale's been driving it, so there have been flare-ups each day at a different location. Uh, yesterday and the day before, it was Beaumont Port Arthur. Uh, last night, it was, uh, uh, interestingly enough, the Corpus Christi area, some of the same places that were hammered by uh, the Cat 4 part of Harvey are getting some flooding over there. Uh, but not making a lot of news is down in the lower Rio Grande Valley. There's been four to six feet of water ponded in the streets uh, between McAllen and uh, Harlingen with a overnight stationary cell that was at times uh, indicating six inches an hour rainfall rates. Mm. Wow. So, but uh, this is supposed to move out by uh, tomorrow or so, I think, and by the end of the week. Uh, things should be more or less back to summertime normal, right? Yeah, we're, the, the, the gap is closing the high building back aloft, so that should pretty much shut it down to the more isolated storms. All right, so let's uh, talk about last year first. Um, Bill, as you look back on Harvey, just you know, give me a, a top-down view of what you remember, and, and then we'll talk about all the variety of issues. Wow, I, I, you could write books on Harvey, I swear. The, 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 first, the first thoughts are uh, uh, the rapid intensification uh, leading up to all the way up through landfall uh, right off in the Gulf of Mexico, which didn't give a lot of lead time, and, and how well the Hurricane Center uh, forecasters uh, responded to the signals that told them about rapid intensification. I, I believe the discussions I had with uh, Ed Rappaport and, and a couple of the forecasters were to the effect that they've never seen a forecast uh, uh, that robust in their if 10 years ago that wouldn't have happened. Uh, then of course the stalling after landfall which was really accurately forecast by the global models again I'm not sure uh, I've seen that good a forecast on them in there but uh, uh, because it stalled and was uh, such a strong circulation, it maintained itself for for several days, and, and that allowed for the, 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 the continuous recharging of the atmosphere and the very heavy rains over a four-day period that uh, South Central through uh, Texas through Southwest Louisiana experienced, which was right off the charts. We've never had anything quite like that. So I think, you know, the, the forecast, I think we would agree we're really about as good as the science, science allows them to be. Uh, but how about the perception of the people? How did they, I mean, we were talking about the slowdown, uh, the, you know, the, you know that stalling was forecast uh, relatively well. Uh, the and the rainfall of numbers were you know off the scale, uh, but how did people? Uh, I mean, there was still loss of life and tremendous damage there. How did people really? They didn't expect it, or talk to us about how they perceived those forecasts. Okay, yeah, that's that's. Uh, uh, there's some pretty good uh, social science studies underway, so I haven't really seen the official kind of results from people that are talented in that, but. Anecdotally, from the people I know and was talking to, uh, uh, I think the loss of life could have been much greater. Uh, that first Saturday evening when the big rains occurred, uh, they, they, they really got fired up after dark over the area. The, the afternoon leading up to that, all the players, the local elected officials, emergency managers, uh, the, the TV meteorologists, National Weather Service, were all signaling catastrophic flooding like we've never seen before. 
uh, Donna and I actually went out to dinner that evening because, you know, I looked at the forecast, looked at the radar. I said, we got a few hours before the rain starts. Might be a few days before we do this. We had to go to four different restaurants before we found one open. So even the businesses were taking this seriously and shutting down in advance of, of, of the flood. Now, once the big rain started, people are basically, you're, you're trapped in your house. I was trapped in our house. We couldn't leave our neighborhood for four days because uh, of the flooding. And unfortunately, uh, uh, a lot of people uh, were trying to leave their houses. A lot of the people that drowned were, were actually on foot trying to evacuate their houses in the peak of the flood. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of debate about uh, evacuating, but if you look at the map of what all, where all the uh, flooded, I don't know how you would, uh, even in, in hindsight, I don't know how you would depict who should go and who should stay. And where are you going to send two and a half million people? Right, even here in Miami-Dade County, uh, if you look at the five storm surge planning zones, there are over 1.9 million people in those zones, and you can't evacuate that many people. I, I understand. Well, tell us about what happened. I know you have a rain gauge. How much rain did you get, and how close did the water get to coming into your house? Well, I, uh, th this was my fourth 40-inch or greater rain event to be involved in, but the first one that happened in my house. I had 44. 5.34 inches for a uh, three and a half day storm total. That first night when that big rain band came over uh, for two and a half hours, we were averaging five inch an hour rain rates. I actually ran out and emptied my gauge twice. I, just, I don't have a tipping bucket. I have a standard uh, Coco Ross gauge in there. And then it, then it tapered off to only two to two and a half inch an hour for about five hours after that. So in a 12 hour period, <laughs> about 23 and a half inches of rain uh, at, uh, uh, at the end of that five inch an hour rainfall rate, the water was on our porch and that was the high water for us. We didn't get any in our house. I had eight friends who were flooded by it. Uh, unfortunately, some of them did not have flood insurance and they are suffering to this day. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, we really want to change the outcome for the better in future rainfall events. And you and I have talked about the National Flood Insurance Program, and we've been in the hurricane program a long, long time, and we keep hearing it's just simply not sustainable. Uh, how did that work uh, from your point of view in Harvey? Yeah, that's that to me, that's the, that's the biggest uh, uh painful lesson learned you would think after big floods like allison in 2001 and and two recent floods that, that the local officials were very uh, adamant about pointing out that a lot of the flooding is occurring way outside the 100-year floodplain because of our geography and the nature of the rain events we get here almost everyone should at least consider getting flood insurance yet uh, the, the, at least in Harris County, the published data shows that maybe 35% had flood insurance of those that flooded. I'm thinking about all the warnings, all the different ways to communicate with Harvey, and how did people take them? How could they be improved? I mean, if I were living uh, in the Houston area at the time and there were a hurricane warning, I'm sure that there, there was a storm surge warning, I'm sure, for uh, parts near what Rockport and Port Aransas and then there would probably have been flash flood warnings flash flood emergencies It's a lot for somebody to try to take in and understand what the threat actually is Did we learn anything from that and do you have any ideas on on how maybe that could be streamlined or do you think it's a good system? Uh, 
I, the ultimate goal, and I, and I technologically, I think the ultimate goal will be, uh, uh, to, you, unless you can get it down to the individual level, that what does this mean to me? Because, yeah, for us in the business, we understand what the risks are and what the threat is, and we can dig into it. But, you know, you, you got your, your family and a whole bunch of other things going on, and you're, you're not a scientist and, and all that. Uh, not being able to communicate your house at 505 Smith Lane in, in such and such subdivision is or isn't going to flood. Until we can get to that level, there's going to be this the, the need to put out the more blanket type warnings like we do now that covers everybody, even whether they're in the threat of a flood or not. And I think that's that's the one thing that'll take time. It may be you know a decade or more before we get there, but but that's where we're headed. Uh, with the uh, the geographical systems that we uh, information systems and then the bandwidth kind of communication it's not there now but I think that's where we're headed Bill there was another article that was making its way through social media uh, I'd seen this and I read it it was it was published in uh, the journal called Nature and the gist of it was it says the headline the big headline hurricanes are slowing down now obviously Harvey was its own deal uh, but the point of this was is that the circulation of the atmosphere, uh, especially over the tropics, is slowing down, thus the driving mechanism to push hurricanes along is slower, thus storms are moving slower, they're over areas for longer when they do make landfall. Have you read that? Did you see that? Do you have any thoughts? I, I haven't read the, uh, the uh, base article. I've just read some of the uh, more popular uh, media posts that probably are a condensed version of it. Uh, and... and uh, I recognize the author's name, so I know it's from a, a source of someone that does good science. So, heck, the average land, the average speed at landfall over here in Texas is somewhere around uh, nine knots to begin with. So they're already not moving very fast in mm -hmm. this neck of the woods. So, uh, uh, eight to ten percent slowdown on there, uh, while not significant, I could see where that, if that, if that were uniformly a across the board would lead to an increase in the rainfall uh, that you observe since the speed of motion is a, is a direct correlation in the rainfall we get. Bill, I was talking to Jeff Lindner of the uh, Harris County Flood Control District who became quite renowned uh, during Harvey for his excellent, excellent and direct communication. Uh, watching him, I, I was very impressed that he didn't mince any words. He said, uh, this is going to flood. This is going to get worse than it is now, and it's not going to end anytime soon. And I thought that was um, extraordinarily effective, and, and people were really hanging on every word. At least that was my impression from this distance. So I have two questions for you. Uh, one is, can you describe how you thought you know, the, the communications about the flooding was? But the other thing that Jeff and I were talking about at, at the time was how do you tell people there's going to be three or four feet of rain and how do you you know make a meaningful statement out of that that tells anybody what to do <laughs> you know uh, it's just a it's so kind of unprecedented in the potential that we saw with Harvey that uh, words did not seem adequate I guess. I mean, it's unprecedented is the wrong word. We forget history softens <laughs> it. Allison uh, flooded the entire downtown and the northeast corridor of Houston. To the, the same things were going on. It was just not as long an event. It was one night and one day, and it was over part of the town instead of all of it. 
the, the, the message I see coming out of uh, in the future for, for, for the kind of flooding we get here is that, uh, is that if, you, if you know you're in an area that's highly vulnerable to flooding, you're well in the 100-year floodplain or the floodway, then, then you might want to consider getting out of there before the first raindrop falls if we can give you that kind of lead time. Otherwise, the safest place to be is at your house and go vertical, even if it's dra rather draconian getting up on the roof of your house as the water gets really high and wait for rescue because the, the moving water and all the, all the consequences that go with getting out of your, your house is higher up than your street. So you try to leave your house, you're going into one to two feet deeper water depending on the age of the neighborhood you're in and it's moving. So you're probably safer in your house as horrible as that may be. Uh, I thought they communicated that quite well, as best they could. I just don't know. Uh, my friends that I talked to, uh, uh, one of the couples, uh, guy and their, their and his wife in their upper seventies, their 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 visceral instinct was to run. So when the water came in their house, they grabbed their two dogs, got in the car, started the engine, and immediately died due to floodwaters. And they tried to, and they waded their way out until someone in a boat rescued them. You know, rather horrific story to hear about. But he, but he said that was all they could think about. And, you know, they didn't they weren't thinking that rationally at the time? How do you break through that? I don't know. Yeah, that's difficult. All right, Bill. Before we let you go, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge the 10-year anniversary of Ike, and we'd love to have you back on here this year to talk more about that. But. But just in acknowledgement, what, uh, you know, what's, well, I guess the, the, the right question is, many lessons were learned in Ike. Do you feel like uh, there are still lessons to learn, or has uh, uh, your part of Texas, um, you know, adapted and adopted uh, uh, plans that they should have? Actually, the uh, a couple of things about Ike that when I reflect back on it, I think there was a somewhat reduced evacuation than what we would normally see here. It was like 65% obeyed the orders. Uh, but I think that was a, a reflexive reaction to the horrific evacuation from Rita just three years earlier uh, in the 24-hour drives trying to get out of here. Uh, the fact that we have uh, no, no significant building code once you get one county in from the coast here no one wants to advertise sheltering in close because the buildings aren't built that well. Uh, can't say I blame the officials, but it does make for a difficult thing. So have we have we really learned anything on that? Well, guess what? There's a million new people here uh, uh, since Ike. A lot of them live in evacuation zones. There's the same number of lanes going west on I-10 and north on 45 once you get out of Houston. So the evacuation lead times... It's just like Max said for Miami. I don't see how it's becoming possible to evac evacuate for the really big threats, the number of people that live here. Uh, if you go down to the Bolivar Peninsula today, there's development developments going on willy-nilly there. And it's just like Neil Frank used to show. Uh, the houses that were wiped out by uh, by Ike were built in the, after Carla in the 60s and 70s and were relatively modest. Uh, the ones that are going up there now, I don't think any of us on this call could afford them. Uh, it's amazing. And the ground's still five feet above sea level there. Uh, and they all build at higher stilts, thinking that'll uh, pave the way. I hope they're smart enough to evacuate. Because I think, so far at least, that's the solid message that uh, the people there. And I was at a, 
a town hall meeting on the west end of Galveston Island, and the facility was standing room only. So uh, obviously the folks that uh, have property there uh, care enough to spend a Saturday morning learning about that problem. And the officials say there's no way you should stay here for any hurricane, which is the right message. All right, Bill. All right, Bill Reed um, in Houston, uh, former director of the National Hurricane Center, former meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service in Houston. Thanks very much, and, and I hope you'll come back on here in uh, a few weeks, uh, maybe middle of the summer sometime, and let's, let's really talk about Ike and the Ike-Dike idea and uh, everything else that uh, happened in that uh, amazing storm 10 years ago this year. All right, Bill, thanks very much. Thank you. So um, let me ask Luke, because you're the local broadcaster. Well, I mean, we all are. I guess we're all doing local now. So this whole idea is if there were a weather forecast here in South Florida for four feet of rain over the next five days, uh, I mean, South uh, Southeast Florida can't deal with four feet of rain. Uh, there's no, this is a flat place. Yeah. The water drains at about an inch a day, if it's all working right, uh, if I recall. Uh, what do you say? I saw during, uh, I believe it was Harvey, where the storm surge unit of the National Hurricane Center, they were doing a lot of visuals where they went up against their wall and they had, I think it was a kayak, and the kayak was X number of feet taller or you know, maybe a foot and a half taller than the person that was standing next to it. And they said, this is where your water is going to be. This is where you are. This is how it's going to look. And that's really... How can you, you know, four feet, all, all the charts that we have, all the color tables that we have, they don't even get close to that. So there's no real efficient way to communicate it other than those visuals. And what do we do? What would we do? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, where, and how would we begin to communicate it? Max, you were here for Irene, obviously. <laughs> Very, the Irene of 1999 and the no-name storm, so-called no-name storm that became Lily in 2000, right? And we had loss of life in Irene and we the no-name, too. Uh, that's right. And uh, in that case, we had, uh, I want to say, about 20 inches of rain, plus or minus, in, in the case of Irene, but in only in part of town. It wasn't like in uh, Harvey where you had this massive, incredible rainfall of more than three feet or three to five feet over such a huge area. Uh, don't you think it's a, it's a significant issue here in South Florida that we haven't had these heavy rains recently in this modern paved over version of this area that uh, we used to have even going back into the th- 40s especially. Right. I do think we need to differentiate between the storm surge flooding and the inland freshwater flooding and it's really uh, usually the storm surge flooding that uh, kills the most number of people. About If you look at mm-hmm. in report study 50 years worth of data here in the United States you know nearly 50 percent of people died from storm surge uh, another 20, I think 7% of the people died from inland freshwater flooding, but most of that loss of life and the freshwater flooding was up in the mountainous areas, like in the Carolinas. And down here in South Florida, where it's so flat, uh, I don't think it's going to be, it's not going to be the same thing. We're not built like Houston is, and right. we're certainly not like the mountains in the Carolinas. So. Uh, it's a little bit different. You, we can't evacuate. You know, you mentioned six million mm-hmm. people here in South Florida. <laughs> we cannot evacuate six million people, and we're not going to be able to. It's going to be a long time before we can tell people exactly where that. You know, if we did forecast three to four feet of uh, rainfall, exactly where that's going to be. Well, the issue in South Florida is that you have 
most people living on the downhill side of the coastal ridge to the west, on the Everglades side of the ridge, right? So once the water uh, falls on that side of the ridge, in order to drain out into the bay or the ocean or one of the rivers, it's got to get into those canals. And if those canals are super high and uh, the tide is high from the storm as well, that process is very long. So right. th the point is that this, you know, we tend to remember uh, Hurricane Andrew for the win. We don't talk about the storm surge because the storm surge hit at a fairly unpopulated place and we didn't have deaths, thankfully, in the houses that were hit by storm surge. And we tend to remember the last storm that came along and the last few storms that came along. Yeah. And, and we really haven't had a, a big, super big flood storm uh, in most people's right. memory. Now, I believe my uh, memory tells me here that in Irene, for example, the loss of life from that inland freshwater flooding uh, occurred when people were out in their cars uh, driving somewhere and they couldn't tell where the, you know, the street stopped and the canal began. Right, they drove they into drove the canal, into the canal that's canal, right. So mm -hmm. And also uh, yeah. electri uh, electrocutions in, in that. Right, Remember, they went right. out uh, walking and uh, wire was down in the flooded street and the right. uh, puddles yeah. and whatnot in the but street. I think most of those deaths, if, if you, you exercise a little bit of you know, common sense there, could have been prevented. And we can talk about that later. But I think that the greatest uh, potential loss of life is going to be from the storm surge. Uh, it's certainly going to be, uh, it would be horrific if we had you know, two to three feet of uh, rainfall. Uh, but I don't think it's really going to kill people. Damage, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and certainly on a uh, large scale. Right. Exactly. All right, so uh, let me just uh, ask you both a question that's been circulating and, and being uh, talked about here on social media. Do we need a Category 6? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, we do not. <laughs> And, and why, why do you think, uh, It Luke? muddies the water already. I mm. mean, uh, already. We just talked about Ike. Mm -hmm. Ike was a Category 2, and I've been to the Boulevard Peninsula, and I've seen still. I was there last year for a wedding, and, uh, I mean, it just devastated that area. I mean, all around Galveston and especially that peninsula. Um, and that was Cat 2. So, you know, when we think of hurricanes, you know, we, we base them off the, the Saffir-Simpson scale with the rating, and people think of the winds, but... There's so much more to a hurricane that can cause damage, and, you know, if I'm somebody that hears Cat 2 out of 6, I'm like, oh, we're on the lower end of things. We're good to go. We're going to stick around. Things yeah, are going to be true just That's true of Cat fine. 2 out of 5, too, isn't it? That's a, it kind of, I suppose, but uh, that's a, maybe a separate issue. But the other thing is, is I saw a stat. Michael Lowry put this out, famous meteorologist. Mm -hmm. guy's incredible. And uh, he said, out of all the data points that have been plotted for hurricanes, which I assume means... 50,000 or something. 50,000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 0.3% of those 50,000 were Category 5 points. Do we really need to give us another one? I don't think yeah, so. I think we need to just focus more on the impacts, uh, no matter what the category is, because uh, you know now the the hurricane center has, I think, done a very good thing to separate the storm surge watches in the morning from the wind, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the hurricane watches in the morning. So uh, you can't, uh, you know, have a scale for everything. I don't think the scales have that much <coughs> value anyway. We need to focus more on the impacts to people. Is yeah. there any scale? I'm sorry, Brian. No, go ahead. Is, is there any scale out there that does combine? Uh, there's the integrated kinetic energy. I've heard of that. Is there anything that combines the overall threat of a, of a hurricane? No, there's no. The problem is that, that exactly the same hurricane coming at the east coast of Florida 
has a drastically different impact on the coast than the same storm going at the Texas coast or, or going at the west coast of Florida. And even its angle. And the angle and everything else is, is so different. So uh, coming up with any kind of storm-based scale, which is the Ike scale tries to, tries to measure the amount of energy in the system so that, that Hurricane Ike, it just coincidentally was mm-hmm. Hurricane Ike and this Ike scale integrated kinetic energy. Uh, uh, the Ike scale for Hurricane Ike would have been a higher number than a two mm-hmm. because it, it was a big circulation, had a lot of energy in it, like Sandy. It was you know technically sort of a one, right? But it had a lot of energy in it and caused all that storm surge on the coast. But the problem is that doesn't deal at all with the impacts because it doesn't get to the differences in the various coastlines. And the size, one of the uh, limitations to that uh, integrated kinetic energy scale is that the you know if you have a little small hurricane, even though it's powerful, you know the integrated kinetic energy is still going to be small. That's a good point. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. All right, uh, we want to let everybody know that we would love to have your questions, and we'd love to address uh, your questions here on our weather podcast. And it's WeatherPod, if you want to send in a question, weatherpod at WPLG.com. Weatherpod at WPLG.com. We're going to be doing this every week here uh, through hurricane season, and we'll try and have them posted. Generally, it's Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, anyway, we'll let you know, but that's, that's our plan, Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll have it posted, and we really would love to hear from you at weatherpod at wplg.com. So that's our first uh, that's our first weather podcast. It went by. We actually went ten minutes longer than than we were sort of supposed to go, but there you go. <laughs> and you know, and we were wondering if we would have enough to talk about. No problem. We have a whole list of things here to talk about. So we'll be back uh, next week. Max Mayfield, thank you so much for coming in and joining us uh, to kick this off. My pleasure. All right. And uh, my partner, Luke Doris, will conjure up uh, something for next week. And we you hope bet. all of you will download us and, uh, and tune us in. All right. Uh, have a good week. See you next week.